Go ahead and grab your tablets, smartphones, whatever it is you're going to need to follow along. If you have none of the above, you can watch all of the projections that we're going to be talking about here today right behind me. It is incredible to me how these songs go perfectly with this message today. It is incredible to me. And I know that Luke uh, and the team does a little bit of investigation with what I'm preaching on, but these songs were perfect. That first song, unbelievable. And we'll get more into that in just a moment here. I love all the songs that they did. But uh, today we are in week, we are in week five of a four-week, excuse me, we are week four of, in a five-week series entitled Divine Encounters. And today's message is uh, Encounter our purpose. Encounter our purpose. Now this series is totally unlike what we normally do here on a Sunday morning. Things are a bit different. And the reason for that is, is because we believe that the God of heaven is not only a God to be understood, but we also believe that he is a God that is to be experienced. In other words, in other words, God's, des God's desire is not to, uh, uh, let me say it again, God's desire is that we experience him and not just know him. There's something about God goes beyond knowing him to where you and I would be able to experience him. And that's not on God to make happen within our lives. You see, we also have a role and a responsibility as followers of Christ, following God ourselves, that we would make time and we would make a place where we would actually pursue God to encounter him. It's okay to do that. That's what you should do every single day of your life, in fact, but that's what we are doing here right now. <clears throat> so let me be clear. I'm going to explain more about the, the encounter at the end of the service. I'm going to explain a little bit more about that in just a few moments, but let me dig a little bit deeper as we go into this message today. Let me be clear. The goal of encounters is not so that you get warm fuzzies. I got little fuzzies going on, but that's not the reason for it. This is not the goal that I'm looking for in my life. It's not for warm fuzzies. Encounters with God are not to just be on a, with a personal entertainment kind of thing, that it's just you and God, and you feel better, and everything is fine now. No, it goes deeper than that. You see, the purpose of an encounter is for something, for something of a progression that would begin to happen in our hearts that would move us forward and onward in this movement to something deeper in God and something deeper with God. There's something deep that God is looking to do in you and through you and in me and through me as, ever, as well. So today, again, the message is going to go deep. We need to go deep. We need to go deeper than where we've been before. So here we go. We're going to go deep. Today's message, I mentioned it once. I'll say it again. And that is encounter our purpose encounter our purpose um, you can look at you can look at every encounter in the bible every old testament every new testament encounter that took place where god would reveal himself to people and literally he would reveal himself to them face to face that you would see something of god you would you would experience something of god and a bunch of times that happened in the scriptures in fact i've used the scripture with each week so far, I'm using it again today. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, it says in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past, the things of the Old Testament, the things of the New Testament, the things that were written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, that we might have hope. That we might have hope. That we can have the same hope and expectation that God will do for us Today, like he did for them yesterday, whoever they are, that gives us hope. And if you have hope in that, give me an amen. amen. 
So let me say this again. You can look at every encounter in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike, where God uh, reveals himself to people face-to-face, face-to-face, so that in every place, every time, that same pattern exists. That same pattern exists. And in, re- in reality, this is, the, this is the essence of the whole message today, what I'm saying. When I'm done saying this, you can't leave, though. You need to hear the rest of the message. But anyhow, it's this. In the same pattern exists every single time when people would encounter God. Old Testament, New Testament alike. The same pattern exists. Then it stands to reason that God would want to do, have that same progression and that same pattern in our lives too. In other words, what he did with them, you and I should be expecting that God is going to do that with us as well. And in order for that to happen, you need to, re- to recognize and to respond to it. And I'm going to help you to respond. I'm going to help you to recognize what it is that we're talking about today in this particular message. So let me give it to you and let me give it to you right now. Because every time, every time a person had an encounter with God, Old Testament and New Testament, God would, uh, God would touch them. God would change them, and God would call them every single time. Every time that God would show up in in an encounter uh, with an individual, God, God, he would touch them. He would change them, and he would call them. Every time you look in every story where God met with people, encountered with people, He would touch them, and he would change them, and he would call them. So he would touch them. In other words, he would show himself to you, to that individual. He would show himself to you as being strong and able. Then a process of change would begin to take place within our life. Like I said a moment ago, it would be that forward, upward movement to something deeper in God and deeper with God. He would... would, uh, a process, he would give us the process of change that would take place. And thirdly, that God would use all of that. He would use them to accomplish something great on earth. That God would want to use that person who's experienced God. Not just for their own well-being. Not just for the fuzzies and the tinglies that we get because we're experiencing God today. But that God would want to change you. That God would want to take you to a new level. That God would want to do something in you and do something through you. As you would never imagine. I want you to see that today because I'm 100% convinced that should you decide to make Word of Life your home church, over the next few months you're going to be hearing things like this over and over and over again. And I'm completely convinced that one of the best things that you could possibly do for yourself is to pursue God enough, to chase after God enough that you're going to discover, why am I here on this planet? What plan do you have for me, God? Why am I still alive? Why am I who I am doing what I'm doing? What is it that you have in store for me? The book of Proverbs says this. It says, people without vision, they perish. They perish. Where there is no vision and you can't see the meaning of your life, you're going to die. According to the Bible, you're going to die. Now, you may not die a physical death because of that, but you certainly, you will die on the inside of you, a slow death. That means that uh, with someone who has no real life-giving purpose to their life, that, uh, that 
you end up just living your life, just paying your bills, just going to work another day, just breathing air, just trying one more day to survive another day. That's about as good as it gets. But this much I know for sure. It's not God's plan for, for your life to, to live in a survival mode. God doesn't want you to just survive because the truth of the matter is you belong to him. When you give your life to Jesus, when you're born again, when you say yes to God, you belong to him. He says, you are mine. And what God wants is not that you would just have a survival mode in your life, but God has a plan for you that would be fulfilled. Look with me what it says in, in, um, in uh, Isaiah 43. The Good News Translation says, Israel, the Lord who created you says, do not be afraid. I will save you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God looks at you in the midst, even with what James had talked about a moment ago, in the midst of change that's taking place, in the midst of work God doing on the inside of us, and it doesn't make sense, and it's a little bit frustrating, it seems to be a little bit tedious and a little bit long, God is doing a work, and he's saying to you, he's saying to every one of you, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine, and I want to do a work in you. I want to change you. I want to do something that will bring life to you and to me. God says, I want to do those kind of things. It's God's plan that you live in a significant, remarkable, power-filled life. Why? Because you belong to God. It's what he wants for you. The more you get connected to God, to the purpose of your life, the happier and more fulfilled you're going to be. So as you're encountering God and as he is revealing himself to you, you begin to learn and to understand, I need to do this. I need to move this way, move that way, whatever those things are for your life. And I want you to see that today, that every encounter points people to that place of a life with meaning, of a life with purpose, making a difference in the lives of others. The purpose of in encounters with God is not for our personal entertainment. It's, it's for, God, uh, for God to show us the purpose that he has for each and every one of our lives. Go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 1. This is an incredible, incredible story to me. In fact, it means a lot to me for many reasons of which I won't go down. Verse 1, If again, if you don't have your, any tablets or smartphones, you can follow along right behind me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which are angels. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they, they covered their feet. And with two, they, they were flying. And they were, calling, uh, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Can you imagine? This is what Isaiah sees in his encounter. Can you imagine? And he says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard, of, uh, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? 
I want to break that down for you very quickly this morning. But before I do, I'm assuming many of us don't know a whole lot about King Uzziah. And if you don't know about Uzziah, you're not really going to understand an important ingredient to this message today. So let me give you a little bit of background of King Uzziah. Uh, uh, what what, um, what uh, Isaiah says is that in the year that King Uzziah died. <clears throat> king Uzziah was um, the king of Israel. And he was actually a godly man. He was a great king. Many people would look at what Uzziah did at the end of his life. And therefore they would discount some of the great things that, Isaiah, uh, that uh, Uzziah had done. Which I don't believe we should ever do. King Uzziah was a, was a very godly king of Israel. He implemented worship. Um, he built uh, places for people to be able to come together and commune with one another as well as in those same locations that they would be able to worship the Lord together. Uh, he built, uh, he built uh, 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 also the Bible tells us that Uzziah uh, followed the precepts of the Lord. He was just a great king. He was a king that was loved and respected by all. Uzziah, King Uzziah, is the only thing that is stopping the king of Assyria from taking control over Israel because he was fearful, because they knew that the hand of God was on this king, on King Uzziah. He was the only reason why they weren't doing this. God gave Uzziah uh, tremendous favor and tremendous wisdom uh, because of the faithfulness that he had and how he would serve the Lord. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years in Israel. And when Isaiah says here in chapter 1, when Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, really what he is saying is this. He's actually saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, we lost our king. We lost our hope. We lost our trust for this nation and for ourselves. They are devastated behind this. Unfortunately, sadly, Uzziah's son could not... Uh, take over, he could not become the next king when, when the king would finally die because of the last few, uh, a few years of Uzziah's life. Let me tell you what happened in those last couple of years. King Uzziah became so strong and so feared, Uzziah decided that, that he could do things his own way. He's the guy in charge. He can do whatever he wants to do. So we went to the temple one day, and he decided that he didn't need the priest to do their priestly functions and so he decided to do what he wanted to do with worship. As he was doing that, one of the temple priests make their way in. And they ask him, and they would say to him, why are you doing this? What are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. Basically, the response of the king was this. Oh, yes, I can. Because I'm the king. And the Bible tells us immediately, immediately Uzziah was struck with leprosy. Immediately it took place. You can read all of that in the book of Chronicles if you'd like to understand it a little bit better. And, but the problem with that is that now Uzziah would be uh, totally isolated from the house of the Lord for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. Because the king had decided, King Uzziah decided that he could worship God any way that he pleases. He was a man filled with pride. Filled with pride. So listen to your pastor this morning. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of accomplishments. I don't care what your portfolio is to life. I don't care who you are. Every time a person has pride, when pride enters our hearts, it always will lead us to our downfall. I don't care how much quick wit you've got. It just doesn't matter. When you find within the word of God truths like this, and I personally believe that God is giving a special word to somebody in our church right now. God is rescuing you. 
God is looking to help you. I say it again. I don't care who you are. Every time pride enters into our hearts, it will always lead us to our downfall. And King Uzziah died a very disgraceful life. And it sent the nation, it sent the nation, uh, turned it upside down as a result of that. The people were so sad at all of this. And Isaiah is telling, telling us in all of this story that people were, people were broken. They were desperate and, and they were in chaos. And guess what God does? Guess what God does in the midst of all of the uproar and all of the change that was taking place? Isaiah says, then I saw the Lord. Right there, right then, he says, I saw the Lord. And this is the beginning of Isaiah's encounter with God. I want to give you quickly three steps. Three steps, that, uh, three steps to encountering our purpose. To encounter our purpose. Step number one. Step number one. God wants to reveal himself to you. Step number one, God wants to reveal himself to you. I read to you verse one again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, listen, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I've been to the temple twice, multiple times when I would go there, but two different trips, I've been to the temple. The place is huge. The place is unbelievable. And Isaiah's vision of God when he saw him, it was the robe had Filled the temple is, is what, what he declared. In other words, um, Isaiah saw, when Isaiah saw the Lord, actually he saw God being way bigger, way bigger than he ever imagined that he would be. Let me explain that to you a little bit. Let me explain to you the vision real quick here. This vision, this encounter that Isaiah had with God changed everything when he, <clears throat> when he saw the Lord. When he saw the Lord, the Bible says, high and exalted on his throne. I can't fathom that. Try to see that right now in your mind as I'm saying this to you. Try to understand seeing God bigger than you would ever imagine. He's there seated on his throne. Try to imagine. I can't. The throne where the Lord, God Almighty, the ancient of days, the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent God, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present God. He was seated on that heavenly throne, high and exalted, the Bible says, representing his eternal, sovereign, universal rule. What an encounter. What an encounter. What an opportunity to see what he had. I'll say it again. He says, I saw the Lord, and actually, when he saw the Lord, he was way bigger than than he ever imagined in his mind. Let me pause here to say this to you. It usually takes a crisis to get our attention. I say it again. It usually takes a crisis to get our attention. It usually takes something fall apart and falling apart in order for us to say, I give up. I give up, God. You must be trying to tell me something. You must be speaking to me about something. So let me give you some pastoral advice this morning. Please don't wait for a crisis to pursue God. Please don't wait for a crisis to run after God. No, be proactive. Be proactive right now today. That means that uh, you right now, right now in, in your good or bad days that you're going through, you right now need to chase after God. You need to be determined tomorrow morning that you're going to get up and I'm going to pray. I'm going to open the word of God and I'm going to pray. 
Now, I'm not asking you how many are doing that, but you need to begin to do that. You need to be that kind of person. You need to pursue God. You need to pursue Him today and tomorrow and the next day. You need to every day be running to God. Give me an amen. amen. And I'm telling you that if you don't, no, God doesn't create any evil. James 1.17, the Bible says that the God, it's not in your notes, but God's uh, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So God, no, He's not going to... Uh, create evil. God cannot create evil, but he will certainly allow some things to happen to us, even, even delay rescuing us if necessary, but all in the hope that we will turn back and we will get close to God. And if you don't believe it, you can ask a guy by the name of Jonah. He will tell you, <laughs> yeah, you can't run. Stop running. Pursue God. Actually, Isaiah was one of those guys that it took, uh, it took King Uzziah dying in all of the chaos of the nation before Isaiah saw the Lord, something happened that all of a sudden made him begin to look toward God in a different way. Something big happened in his life. And man, did he see the Lord. Go with me as we dig into these verses. Verse 2. And it says in verse 2, above him were the seraphim. And as I mentioned here just a moment ago, they were angels with six wings. With two wings, they would, they would cover their faces. In other words, because of the holiness of God, they wouldn't even be able to look at God. They, with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And when they were flying uh, with that third one, guess what happened next? In verse 3, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, is what that scripture says. In other words, the angels are proclaiming the holiness of God. Holy in the Bible means set apart. God is set apart from any and everything we would ever imagine it to be because of his holiness. And I think that we would all agree that Isaiah got an amazing revelation at some of the, at some of the darkest hours of his life, some of the darkest moments of his life, that he was able to see how big God really is. When he was in the greatest despair of his life, he was able to see how big how big our God is. In fact, in uh, Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. No one can fathom. Listen, every time you take a step toward God, even in these encounters that we're going to have here in just a few minutes, even in these encounters, as you take a step toward God, all of that is in the hope, listen to me, all of, the, all of that is in the hope that something would happen to you, that you'd go, wait a minute, Wait a minute, in the midst of my challenge, in the midst of my difficulty right now, something is happening from heaven. God is trying to tell me something. God is looking to show me something. I can see God working in my life. I can see him doing that. I go back to a story that I've shared a few times since it happened. Our oldest son, Jeremy, 40 years old, died on September 4th, 2016. It was a very tragic and it was a, it was a very um, a, a terrible death that we had to deal with. Um, it all happened and began in the very early morning hours, and I don't want to get into all of that, but what I do want to talk about is going home. We left the hospital somewhere at, at about 5 in the morning, and as we are driving home, of course, my beautiful wife is sitting in the seat next to me on Route 690 crying her eyes out, just continuously weeping. Me trying to drive and wipe away the tears. We get to our house, walk into our house and, uh, somewhere at 5, 5.30 in the morning. I don't know what time it is, and uh, we just held each other and wept and wept and wept. As we were doing that, we were confused and heartbroken. And, you know, I, I didn't know what else to do. But I looked at her and I said, I've got to go to church. I've just got to go into the church. I've got to be with God. I can't take this anymore. So I took off and I came here at church. And I know I shared this a little bit ago, a few months ago. But I feel of the Lord to do it again today, right now. 
I can take you to the spot, and it's right here where Terry Lynn and, and uh, Desire are city, seated right there. I came into this church. Nobody's here. I have no lights on. I don't want any lights on. I walked in here, and I'm just crying. I am crying. And, and I'm not trying to, don't, I'm not asking for sympathy, please. I'm not asking for that. I want you to hear what God did. It was amazing. I'm just weeping. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I can't say anything because of the tears. And when I got to that spot right there, when I got right there to that spot, all of a sudden, something happened. Something amazing happened. Something wonderful happened. I want to let you know that God gave me an amazing revelation of my son. Let me just say this much about Jared. Jared was a great musician. He was a great singer. He was a great guitar player. And he even played the keyboard really well as well. He was really gifted. Jeremy was an excellent worship leader. He was my worship leader at West Point and here at, in Baldinsville for, 20, for 23 years. He was my worship leader. He was superb. He, he was an, a superb acoustical guitar player. He was really, really good at that. And uh, his private time in worship would sometimes last for hours. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, right there in the midst of what was just going on, at the worst day of our lives. We, we can never imagine anything to be worse than this. All of a sudden, I saw Jeremy walking ahead of me. And as I'm walking behind my son, right there, as I'm walking behind my son, I can see now all of a sudden thousands upon thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of people. And I can see off in the, the distance, I can see God's throne. And they're all worshiping God, the singing and the rejoicing. Everybody, I can see it. I can hear everything that's taking place. And as Jeremy is walking toward that, I can see Jesus. And Jesus is seated right over here on the right-hand side. And as Jeremy is walking, and Jesus is holding a guitar. And as Jeremy Jer is walking toward Jesus and toward the throne, all of a sudden Jesus stands to his feet. And he takes that guitar and he hands it to Jeremy. And he says to Jeremy, now go and worship your heavenly father before his throne. I heard that. I heard what the Son of God said. And I watched Jeremy as he took that guitar and began to walk to God's throne. And he sort of fizzled away. I sort of lost where he ended up. But at that moment for Randy Chiz, at that moment in that spot that I will never, ever forget what I saw in that encounter, God revealed himself to me exactly the way I needed him to do that. It was a perfect encounter. It was a perfect revelation that God gave me. I could see that God was meeting me right there. I could see that, that God was working in me right there, still crying my eyes out, still in unbelief with what's just taken place. But God was doing a work. God was being faithful. God's so real. God's so alive in your darkest hours. That's the plan that he has for every one of us. So can I say this to you in a very loving way this morning? You may need to pull away from the norm. You may need to pull away from the norm to get a revelation from God. I certainly never want anything like that to happen to you that happened to us. But you may just have to go a different route. You may have to go in a different place in order to get a revelation from God. Because this much I know, God wants to reveal himself to you, especially in your darkest hour. The second step to our encounter, to encounter our purpose is, God wants to change you. God wants to change you. Verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter. And the, and, uh, the sound of their voices, the, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, 
Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and, and live among a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. That's what he says in verse 5. Verse 5 is summing up this, that when, whenever you see how big your God is, you will see how small you are. When you see in, a, in an encounter relationship with God, when you encounter God, when you see how big God is, you will see really how small you are. And it will almost stop you dead in your tracks. Because the dilemma, the, the dilemma is, I can't get close to God because I know what I did last Friday. I can't go get close to God because I know my attitude and my thought process right now. I can't get closer to you, God, because you know who I really am. I might fool a lot of people, but I can never fool you. I can't get closer to you, God, because you know who I am. And you keep on reminding yourself of all the wrong that you have done. I'm a man of unclean lips is what Isaiah says. In other words, he would say, my tongue, my tongue is foul. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I gossip. I curse. I swear. He, would, he identified his tongue, and then he began to talk about all the people of Israel. They also are people with unclean tongues. Isaiah 6, 6 says to us, verse 6, that same chapter. <clears throat> it says, the one, then one of the seraphim flew to me and, and a live coal was in his hand and which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. In that temple, in that temple, there would have been an altar. There, were, there would be sacrifice of animals. That's what they did in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that the angel would take a piece of that sacrifice and would touch the lips of Isaiah. By the way, by the way, we, we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because, uh, because Jesus became our final sacrifice for the sins that, uh, that need, our sins that need to be forgiven. He paid for all of our sin. He paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Jesus didn't take care of just the sins that you committed today driving to church and cursing at the person driving ahead of you. It didn't just happen today. But what Jesus did for us, he took care of what we did in our past, what you will do today, and what you will do in the future. Jesus took care of all of our sin. Give the Lord a round of applause. He's a good, good God. <laughs> Isaiah 103 tells us about that, and I'm going to move on to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7. With, with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this, uh, this touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin has been atoned for. In every encounter Bible story, this second step always happens, and that is God cleanses us. He cleanses us. I, I describe the beginning of point number two as God wants to change you. And that means, that means that God wants to cleanse you of your sin when God wants to change you. So let me say it this way. When your sin is forgiven, it changes you. When your sin is forgiven, it changes you. July 5th, 1971, south side of Philadelphia, I got born again. The second greatest experience of that moment was I knew that my sins were forgiven. I knew as a Roman Catholic 16-year-old when I would talk to the priest about my sin and he would absolve me of my sin, I'd walk out of there for about three minutes with no sin in my life, but I would go right back to the sin I was involved with. With God, he forgives us of our sin. I knew I was completely, totally forgiven. With every encounter with God, for the, believe, for the unbeliever, for the new believer, and for the long-time believer. Let me say it again. With every encounter with God, for the unbeliever, the new believer, or the long-time believer. 
God wants to do something in you and not leave you in the condition that you're currently in. When God encounters you, no matter who you are, maybe today you're an unbeliever. That means you're not saved. That means you're not born again. That means that your name is not written in heaven. And only you can do something about that now. God has done everything on his part to make it possible for you to be forgiven of your sin, for you to make it to heaven and live with God forever. That's up to you. You now make a decision whether you want to do that or not. For the new believer or for the long-time believer, God wants to change you. God will change you. God is looking to change you and I. He will do that for, for each and every one of us. There's two things that will happen. Number one, change is a constant. Change is a continual for the rest of your life on, uh, on earth. It's that you and I will do, uh, it's what you and I are going to do through, throughout the rest of our Christian journey. And that is be changing. You're going to change over and over. God's going to take you to a new level. From glory to glory is one of those songs. From this level to the next level. It's going to happen continuously. But the second thing is the Christian life is a constant progression of change. It is a constant progression of change. I'm not going to read, I'm not going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 16 through 18. It is incredible verses. I read it before, but this much I'm going to say um, with that particular verse. At the end of that verse, it says this, just so you know, in caption, that the closer we get to God, the more that we seek God, the more that we encounter God, the more he changes us. That's why I said tomorrow morning, you get up and you get before God. You chase after him. The more you and I encounter God, the more we will become like him. The Bible says in verse 18 of that particular verse, and the Lord who is the spirit will make us more and more like him, like Jesus, as we are changed in his glorious image. When you and I pursue God, the end result is, is that you and I are going to change. That's exactly what God wants to do in your life and through your life today. And I need to jump to point number four. I'm telling my my staff who are following me on my message because we're just simply running out of time, unfortunately. And the point number three is, is that God wants to use me. God wants to use me. Isaiah 6, 8. Let me jump to that real quick. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. I'm wanting to quit so that we can have an encounter. I'm not wanting to quit because I want to make you happy. I want to quit because I want you to encounter God. Because what God will do will be way more than anything I could ever say Amen, Pastor. Thank you, Desire. Thank you that she agrees with me. Point number three, God wants to use me. This is what Isaiah said. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Do you know that the word there says, um, we? Then I heard a voice from heaven uh, who said, and we, uh, who will go for us? That word, us. That word us is talking about the Trinity. God is asking the question, who will go for us? Who will go for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Who will go, who will go for us? It represents the wonderful Trinity. And, and the question is, will you go? And I'm here to tell you, my friend, no matter who you are, wherever you may be in your encounter with God, however long or short you've been serving Him, there's a great work that needs to be done. God has a great work for every one of us. And he says that here in this particular uh, verse, verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6. There's a work that needs to be done. Who's going to go? Who will go for us? This represents, this represents us doing a work that needs to be done. God has an assignment that only you can do. 
only you can do. And this world will only be touched to the degree that all of us realize what that assignment truly is. He's got an assignment for you. I want to tell you, it begins, should you be married, it begins with your spouse. Your assignment is her, it's him. Should you have children, it would be your kids and your grandkids. Should you have extended family? The assignment that God has is for all those real practical things of change that God wants to make in all of that, in relationships and all of that. But it doesn't end there. There's even a greater work. This world needs to be touched. We have three teams going off to Puerto Rico here in just a, in a little bit more than a month away now, a couple months away. They're going to be heading to Puerto Rico to be doing a work. There's, our world will only be changed to the degree that we, we here in the church, we realize what our assignment is. And we need to do that assignment. And when you do that, you begin to live life in a, in a, in a way that you would never imagine that life would be. So Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Send me. And with this amazing encounter that he had, I'm assuming that Isaiah is thinking, before right now, before what I've just seen, before what I've just seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears, I figured I would never have a chance in a million years to experience that. I was thinking that I'm just not worthy. I'm too messed up. On the other side, on the, on the, the other side of the, the encounter, he's looking at himself and he's saying, I'm too messed up. And I've messed up too many times for God to use me, for God to do a work in me until I realized that God uses messed up people all the time, all the time, to help messed up people. God has a, a purpose for you on earth no matter what you've done, no matter how bad, no matter the wrong and the depth of all of that. God gives us all our own special, unique assignments. And it's my deepest desire for every one of you in this room that God above all else, above all else, would re reveal himself to you and show you his purpose. The purpose he has for your life. The thing that he wants you to do. The reason why you're still here on the planet. Why God wants you to be doing that. So my prayer. My prayer right now is something like this. God, their lives are not going to be changed by anything I say in a sermon. God, their lives are not going to be changed by anything that our worship team and whatever Luke would decide to sing. Our lives are not going to be changed by any of that. God, there is nothing that we can do that can change a life. Oh, but God, one second, one second of your presence, of your power, and of your promises being made known, one second of hearing the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One second with that, we know at that moment that God, you are real. That God, you are alive. And that God, with that encounter, with that word, with that revelation, I know you have a purpose and plan for my life and it changes me forever. God, word of life teams, all over this church, throughout the week, put together our services at the North Campus, at the South Campus, at the Elizabeth Street Building. And we do the best that we can do, God, in hopes that God, that we would, that God, you would go way beyond our efforts. 
and that one second of your presence with the people who come here, that, God, they would see you face to face, that they would hear your voice, and they would now know they have a purpose, and you want them to fulfill that. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward right now. We're going to begin our encounter, and we do that through different ways. In just a moment, I'm going to ask them to come, and we're going to bring our tithes to the Lord. We haven't paid our tithe yet, so we're going to do that in just a moment. As you pay your tithe, you can go to different locations. You can go back to your seat and be led by worship by them and continue. You can sit, stand, however you want to be. You can go to the crosses because at the crosses, by the way, I pray every day, put my hand on these crosses, praying for God to move, and he will. Don't you give up. Don't you stop praying. But anyhow, you can go to the crosses and write down whatever it is you want on the cross for whatever the need would be. Or you can go to communion. We have communion on both sides of, this, of the, of the uh, stage that you can have personal communion and or our intercessors, if they would make their way down front quickly, our intercessors. Our intercessors are going to be here along the front if you'd like them to pray with you. These are godly men and women, touched, God, touched by God, used by God, and they're going to meet your need. God's purpose for your life is one of the single most important things that you and I can do now as a believer. God, have your way. Father, I pray as we go into this encounter time, I'm asking God that you would meet us. I'm asking God that you would lead us. I'm asking God that you would direct us. I pray your blessing on all of these things in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you get up out of your seat and let's begin our encounter by paying our tithe to the Lord.